G'day teabaggers, Will here. Um, this is an episode with Greg Berent that uh, I recorded a couple of months ago before I left the States. Um, I just want to mention that Greg's doing headliners all weekend at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival and after that he's on the road in Australia with the Comedy Festival uh, Roadshow. He's going to Caloundra, Gold Coast, Canberra, Dubbo, Armidale, Grafton, Ballina, Penrith, Cessnock and Newcastle. So if you're in any of those places uh, please come out and uh, see Greg and say good day and say that you listen to the podcast and give him some uh, uh, tofop uh, love and support that'd be fantastic speaking of that uh, we've got the tofop live tomorrow night so it'll be good to see Charlie and uh, thanks to everyone who got tickets to that I know a few people who aren't able to use the tickets have been swapping them on the Facebook page so um, if you're still looking for a last minute ticket uh, that is the best place to look if someone's looking to offload one um, and we will see you all there uh, tomorrow night it's going to be really exciting uh, last but not least I have three days left of my um, Melbourne International Comedy Festival run. There's only a few tickets left for tonight. Good Friday. Um, uh, there's there's a bunch of tickets for Saturday and Sunday, like probably a couple of hundred over the weekend. So um, they will sell out, but there is some available if you want to come and see the show. So um, get in for that. Then uh, the week after that, I'm in the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis. The week after that, I'm at Helium in uh, Buffalo, New York. And the week after that, I'm at the uh, Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland. Week after that, I'm back in Sydney for the Sydney Comedy Festival. Two shows at the Enmore, two shows at Chats. Um, uh, they're all selling pretty good so please uh, get in if you want to come and see uh, this show Illuminati in uh, Sydney in in about three or four weeks time so um, uh, that's all I was going to say last but not least um, uh, if you wanted uh, if you saw Illuminati and you liked it uh, and you would like to vote for it in the People's Choice um, at the Melbourne International Comedy Festival uh, just go to comedyfestival.com.au and then go to the People's Choice and um, you can win a trip to Edinburgh for the Edinburgh Comedy Festival so um, it's a pretty good prize and it'll only just take a couple of minutes to vote if you'd like to do that i think that closes like either later on today or tomorrow so um if you'd like to support the show that would be a uh, a cheap and easy way to do it so anyway uh, here's greg and i hope you enjoyed the episode cheers the following episode of fofop is classified ma it contains some coarse language some nudity drug references a sex scene time travel terrible batman impersonations a charlie clausen pronounced clausen shaped hole and mild coarse language fofop advises that the program is not suitable for persons under the age of 15 and minors must be accompanied by an adult guardian or priest this is john deke speaking Everyone relax. This is Tofop. Ironically, I'm not relaxed. (laughs) Hello and welcome to Fofop. I'm Will Anderson and guest Charlie Clawson. Greg Berent is here. Hello, guest Charlie Greg. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm I'm enjoying... uh... I'm enjoying your apartment. This is the first time that you've come yeah. over to my apartment yeah, uh, nice. to record or to be here. Yeah, generally we do it at the du- we've done it at the W where you've just barely woken up or maybe haven't even gone to bed yet. Right. <laughs> um, which is I, and look, if I was at the W, a single man at the W, yeah. I would absolutely be you. Like, That's I, how that I roll. Not man. a judgment. That I just party all judgment. night, podcast all day. Yeah, and now we're and now we're. We're now we're doing it in your apartment, uh-huh. and, every, and it, we're on a blanket that I, I believe you probably had your baby pictures taken on. Right? It's isn't it's this blanket fur, soft? It's a soft. Yeah. It's like so a, it's like it's the ba- it's the blanket you put a baby on. 
naked and take pictures of. People, this blanket has been talked about so much on the podcast now that recently when we did merchandise, yeah. uh, people have been asking uh, if they can buy the blanket. Who who makes it? I mean, I, I don't even think it's like a special type of blanket. It was like... I think they'd probably be stoked. It was know? just like, I mean, it's a pretty standard sort of... It does... Yeah, it does seem... But like, it's so soft, isn't oh my it? God, it's amazing. And yeah. I, I put it down here in the first place, like, just to kind no, of mop up... It's West Elm. Right, West Elm. Like, they're not a big, expensive company or anything. No. It was like it was a cheap blanket. No, it's good, though. I, I've, I've started doing some things, and, and I think you, more than anyone, will appreciate this, because this is the first time in a long time that I've had to decorate yeah. and set up my own space. Right. That is just for me. Yeah. But also will be seen by other people. The way, so you can't yes. quite set it up just for you. Like no. if it was just my interest, you'd be coming in here and you'd be like, um, I think Will's going to murder Batman. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Why, <laughs> why are there so yeah, many yeah, yeah. pictures and diagrams yeah, yeah, on the yeah. walls? <laughs> it's a lot of, oh my God, it'd be great if your place was exactly like um, from True Detective where you've just got pictures of Batman right. on the wall and then you just sleep yeah. on a cot. Right. And that's it. But that's what I imagine. And then there's vials of blood everywhere. Right. But that's what I imagine it would be like. Yeah. And, and like with pieces of like string between certain things things yeah. and like yeah. and on, on one wall you'd be like I love that art on that wall I was like oh no that's how I've done fan fiction of how Batman got back from the prison you know the bit that no one can explain he had no money and, and right. he got back to the city in time right. well I've written how my own story about that <laughs> I've worked it out and here it is on the wall I like it yeah no, I, my when I have my own I, I, I sort of I tell the story and it always makes me a, not sad that I got married but once I finally had my shit together, right. I had a really fucking swinging pad. Like right. it was straight up, you know, big brown velvet couch that folded out into a bed uh -huh. and then bamboo furniture and custom made curtains with a little bit of uh, cheetah print at the bottom of them. Not a lot, right. like just enough. And yep. then I had, a, I had a porcelain <laughs> leopard on the floor yep. and some 50s things of art. And like, it was a fucking bed and breakfast. Like right. if you were a guest at my house and I had a few... You got good coffee. Right. The bathroom you felt like you weren't going to get sipless from. Like right. You felt like, oh, okay. I mean, which I think is like a good start. If your bathroom's clean, a girl will fuck you. Right. Just, she'll go in and go, you know what? Right. Clean toilet. Up until now, I, I thought we were just going to yeah, be friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, but I've looked is, at the way that you've kept your toilet, yeah, you, and you, I think you're a keeper. You've made this, you've made, you know, because if you have a clean toilet, you're saying girls come over here. Right. They come over here. <laughs> Right. If you want that to stop, you're going to have to make it happen because the girls come over here. <laughs> clean towels and a clean toilet mean the girls come over here. The rest of the place can be whatever it is. But that means that's respect. That's just respect. Right. And it's, and it's not you saying or, it out loud. By the way, or dudes right. uh, to our gay listeners or, or ladies to the ladies. But I'm yep. just saying in our situation, if you have a clean bathroom, you're saying, I want people over. Right. And I know that they're coming over. Well, so I, I, I've had to design this place with two things in mind. One, that I wanted it to be practical for me. Like, you know, as in like I wanted it to be because essentially I'm going to spend the most time here. Yeah, right. I should set up a place where it has what I need and what I want from like an apartment. But at sure. the same time, you're like... You know, when it comes to things like decorating it or whatever, I can't be like I was when I was... I remember the first time Amy ever came... So the last time I decorated a place by myself, where I lived by myself, yeah. was when I was 25. Okay. Like 24 or 25. Sure, sure. And uh, Amy told me years later, like years later, but she was like, the first time I walked into your like house and I saw like... I had this like, like I had wrestling posters, 
So like this right. girl who doesn't know anything about wrestling right. has come into my apartment and there's just like oiled up naked men all over the wall, you know? Like I'm like, that's The Rock and I love The Rock. But <laughs> she's just like, what's with the oiled well, up naked yeah. men on the yeah, wall? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. I and get she that. was, uh, yeah. So I can't, like, I mean, I'm now 40 years old. I just turned 40. Well, I've got also, to have like sort of a partly adult aesthetic. Yes. And I have to say that your public image is pretty put together. Like not put together. Like, I don't mean it like it's, uh, you're telegraphing and I'm saying you look like a put together dude right like if you went to charlie's place it's right. possible that nothing would be hung on like a single charlie it's not just possible it's not just possible it, it's oh, true no. right i mean charlie yeah. in a house with another person but you know when same same once you hang a place like sometimes there's a fine line between visiting charlie and visiting the set of hoarders <laughs> <laughs> oh my god that is so awesome that once you here's the thing that you know when you're you're through the looking glass is like once you've hung a painting right there's no going back right you won't put a poster up again because you'll be like oh that yeah that's what that's supposed to look like on a wall right. so once you hang that like you'll put a frame something uh -huh. up and but the frame something is usually only a moment like something you did mm -hmm. You won't put up a frame thing from Z Gallery because you know better that you should have a painting right. by some piece of art by some artist that's in that's in league with who you are as an artist, right? So, so you're at that point now. Okay, so it's because you have like a cool painting right over your head here. All right, so this behind me, the, the thing that you, you're looking directly yeah, at, cool painting. So that painting there, and I'll, I'll run you through this. Uh, th th this was my birthday present from my friends. They all put in together. One of our friends is an artist. And he's a really successful artist, Nathaniel Kiwi, his name is. And I actually own a few of his pieces that I bought at like exhibitions that he was doing. But yeah. he's like a really hip, young, successful sort of like, you know, Sydney artist. And, uh, and he's also a friend of mine. Yeah. And so my friends commissioned him to do a piece for my birthday to remind me of home. So what you're staring at over this window, and I'll, I'll take the microphone out of the stand so I can look at it as well at the same time and talk. But basically what you're seeing it there is, see this table that we're sitting on here? Yeah. The equivalent of that, I have like a big wooden kitchen table at home in okay. my house. So that's like, that that picture he's painted, like, you know, it's kind of, for the people at home, it's like a, it's a still life as they would, like, I think they that's call that, they call right? Yeah. So it's, it's on top of my table at home. No. And you're looking out into my backyard, so you can kind of see behind there, you can see the pool and then my office out there, which is like in my backyard. Nice. But on the table, he's put a, like a collection of like, you know, books and albums and whatever that kind of yeah. have like, so William Goldman's The Princess Bride is there and there's like an Alan Moore book and The Essential Daredevil and High Fidelity yeah. and an Irvine Welsh book and... The complete works of Edgar Allan Poe and there's yeah. a Joe Queenan and like an Arcade Fire album. So it's kind of, it's like a little snapshot of my life That's back great. home. So it can be on my wall here yeah. and I can feel connected with yeah. being back in Australia at all times. Yeah, so your rock, nice, so right? rock poster is fucked. Like right. the rock's not going back up. Like that poster's over. Like you have a painting of your life up there. You're not going to put the rock up. And we all, no. Now, I mean, it would have been pretty if funny somebody did if for my birthday. ironic right. painting of the rock. Right. Yeah. Goes right up. Right. But I mean, for my 50th, what I'm expecting is him to do with me a painting of The Rock. I mean, to reproduce rock, that poster. Right, right, right. But then that is also right. possibly confusing for a date. Because once you've gone to a painting of right. The Rock. Yeah, that's right? true. Right. But everybody loves The be. Rock. It could, be, it could be good, though. I met The Rock, and uh, I, I have spoken about this before on the podcast, but it was, I'm not sure that I've ever been as excited to meet anyone as I was when I met The Rock. For whatever reason, he has that, like, you know, when you meet someone who has genuine star power, and you've met those yes. people over yeah, the yeah, times. Yeah. Like, you'll get this probably more than most people get this, that you can meet famous people, and sometimes you walk away and you go, wow, it's amazing that they're famous because 
there's nothing about they're just ordinary so ordinary yes. in real life right, right? And that's, I actually really like that, like, you know, but then you meet some other people who are just, you're like, bang, of course they're a star. Like, yes. as soon as you get in yeah, their they presence, have that thing. They everything have that. about them is a star. And you're yes. like, well, you, you know, and it's not even like they're arrogant or they're like, it's just like, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's like a way of like carrying yourself. Right. Like, I, I've told the story a bunch too on the podcast, but I was, one time I was at uh, doing Conan and I, and uh, uh, LL Cool J came down the hall. Uh-huh. And He's even more of a star in person than he is on camera. Right. But he just smiled at me. Uh -huh. And I was like, I came. Right. I was like, what was that? Yeah. Like, he just had this thing where you're like, that guy has been able to walk into rooms and have whatever he's wanted probably since birth. Like, he just has a thing that's like. Mate, if you can carry a name, Ladies Love Cool James, LL Cool J. Without that's being what, mocked? Without, like. That's already Seriously the biggest mocked. sign. That, that's essentially the Babe Ruth walking out and pointing into the bleachers. Now, that's but here's something interesting, though, that we're pointing out. The two guys that we're talking about, The Rock mm -hmm. and LL Cool J, yeah. both Republicans. Right. Is What? Both Republicans. Is that right? I, I saw a list the other day called The Secret List of Hollywood Republicans, <laughs> or You Didn't Know These People Were Republicans. Right. started with Vince Vaughn. Uh-huh. There were that doesn't surprise new. me. There were some Vaughan. crazy Shannon Doherty, right. Heather Locklear. Yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Um, there were some pretty easy Mindy, you know, the Bruce Willis. Mindy thing. Kaling, I hear, he's a Republican. I don't care for it. See, I that, really don't care see, for that, it. See, that to me is that, that, that just, me just is, confusing. Yeah, that confuses me. I get too. why... Vince Vaughn. I actually don't get why anyone is, to be honest right. with you. I no, but you get why like, maybe like The Rock... Like, you know, he, you know, he's like a really rich guy. He's a guy who's powerful, a guy who wants to, like, do everything. Right. Like, you know, if you were putting together your Illuminati dream team, right. like, The Rock would be in. A, but isn't he also an indigenous islander? Isn't right. he, like, a And also Samoan? he's the people's champion. He's the people's champion. Yeah. And, <laughs> and he's a guy that had to fight a lot of stereotypes right. to become the guy that he has. But he has, you're right, he has that, I've made myself out of nothing. I persevered. People can do this. Right. I feel like you would know more if you'd done it yourself. Yeah. How difficult, About the struggle. how long, and how hard it is, and how you can see why certain people don't have the facilities or the gifts to be able to do it. It's interesting to me how two different lessons can come out of almost exactly the same story, uh, right? 100%. Like, you know, and I agree with you because I have that uh, attitude to what, because I, you know, I'm a, I, I would have been a third generation farmer. My brother is a third generation farmer, right? Right. right. So that's the life I grew up and the life that I expected that I was going to have. Mm -hmm. And I've been lucky enough to like, you know, do my job and have some success doing that job and travel the world doing that job. And so this part of me, what the lesson I get out of that is that anyone like if you dream something yeah. and you're willing to have a go at it and work at it, then yes. maybe you can like have that dream. 100%. Like anyone can do it. Mm -hmm. But I can understand people who've gone through that same thing of going, well, I fucking made something of myself. I wasn't born special. I wasn't like born under a star. There wasn't three kings giving me fucking presents when I was born. Right. I was born on a farm and everyone right. expected me to be a farmer and I went and achieved all these sort of things. So fuck other people. They should achieve their own fucking things. If they want success like me, they can start their own fucking podcast. Right, 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 right. right. But the irony of that is like, is that like, you, you do that partially because you're driven to do the thing you want to do, but you're also driven to be special. So it's weird when you become special 
or a special case like, wow, you really worked hard and this happened, that you expect everyone to be able to do that, or right. that you expect everyone should do that, or that you would even want them to. Well, you don't want them to, because I want other- people to come to my shows. I want people to be happy with what they're doing and what they're dreaming and need just an hour of comedy once a year. A hundred percent. That's what I need. A hundred percent. And I do feel like there's too many comedians right now and I would like it if they just shut the door for a year. <laughs> just a year. Just, just shut the door for a year. Yeah. That's all. Just don't let them all in at once. Right. I mean, when Kyle Kinane is almost an old man in show business, right. you're in trouble. Yeah, right? we I need... Mean, we need to just shut the just door. Just a moratorium. A Let some of these other guys get really right. good. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they just they're they're running in like um it's like rats <laughs> on a ship. Right. Um and they're talented rats. Right. That's the thing. They're all talking rats on a ship. So it's, it's it'd be uh, great if they instituted that in a few like you know, professional sports, if they just were like, Well, we're not having the draft this year. No, we feel just, like the guys who are already in here yeah, we need, need more of guys, a shot. Yeah, they need to get give them another season. Have, yeah, we can't just keep running people right. out, running them out, right? Let's have everybody. <laughs> it'd be it, that's an interesting experiment. I right. think that actually is an interesting experiment because if you realize, like, I've just crossed this threshold where now I can play guitar by myself. Uh huh. I mean, it's just happened, like within yep. the last, like, right before you saw Bring the Rock, where I taught myself the entire song and learned all the hard parts and play it by myself, which uh-huh. I've never done. Every band I've ever been in, I'll write music or I'll write a song. And generally I write music so I don't have to play other people's music. And then I get a partner and that person's better than me mm-hmm. and they add elements to what I've already written. Right. So I was like- Seems like a good plan though. Right, it is. Yeah. And, and that's why I love the Raining Monarchs. I wouldn't change a thing about them. But then I was like, what if I moved and I wanted to be in a band? And right. I, would have to, I can't make new friends everywhere I go. I have to be able to do this myself. So I just taught myself. Right. I, I'm in the middle of learning 10 in, surf instrumentals uh-huh. um, or like, you know, Link Ray type shit. So I can go play by myself. Yeah. Or just pick up, you know, with a bass player and a drummer. And it took me until I was 50 to get there. And I'm doing my first by myself thing in the, in March in the 30th. I'm just going to play two songs at the Uncabaret. Right. Have you done that? No. No, you must. I'll get you on there. You'll be fantastic. You'll love it. It. Um. It, so to me, it's just like perseverance. Right. You know but also I mean? that idea of that you don't have to do everything at the same time. No. And that's the thing. It's like, who cares? Like, I'm not, I, and a part of me just wants to do is just to do it. I'm not looking for, I don't have any, like, I'm going to be playing big day out. Right. Which as a kid was a dream. Right. I mean, that was like, if I don't play big day out, I wouldn't have lived. Right. And I didn't care about, I didn't care about stand up at all. I didn't even think about it. You know what I mean? Like that was my thing. And like, well, that may not be happening, but I am going to play at the Uncabaret on a Sunday night, two songs by myself. And that right. will satisfy. Yeah. And it gets it kind of, but also you, you put yourself in a position because you never know when the various skills that you have are kind of going to be a perfect storm. Right. Like, you never know that moment where, you know, your Bobcat Goldthwait and Nirvana love you and they say, let's go out on tour with us. Yeah. And if, like, somebody says that to you and then they're like, one night, you know what you should do for fun? Come out and play with, like, the band for the last song or whatever. Right. You actually can. Right. Because in that moment when that offer comes, you don't have time to go away and learn how to play guitar yep. properly. Yep. And what I wanted to say to um, what I wanted to say to Bob that night, and I didn't because I didn't want to out him that much but tom morello gets invited to those group jams a lot uh-huh. and he owningly just says i don't know any of those songs and i just roll my volume off i just take my own volume off i turn it off i don't tom, I don't tom morello does yeah. he goes i know i know i know my songs and i know how to play some things but when you get up there with like the steve vi guys i don't want to do that i just turn it off when it's my turn to solo i'll solo but i won't i'm not gonna yeah he goes a lot guys he goes whenever you see those giant jams a lot of people just turn it just off turn it just off. turn it off <laughs> They don't need to be a part of the cacophony. Who cares? <laughs> and you're thinking, oh, I could never do that because I don't know how to play the songs. Turn it down. Nobody's listening. And everybody, down. you know, when you're in a band, you want to be the loudest anyway. So right. everybody's already out there wants to be heard. You right. Turn it down. 
Let Adam Levine figure it out. <laughs> uh, Tom Morello's just been in Australia touring with uh, the Bruce, Bruce, the yeah. Bruce Springsteen, the yeah. boss. Yeah. Uh, this topic has come up. I apologize to people who are um, hearing me talk about this for about the fourth time in the last two weeks, but I think it's such a just a great story that I think you will enjoy it as well. Which is, and I'll just cut straight to the the punchline. But my accountant was in a famous Australian band called Hunters and Collectors. Yeah. And they've just reformed, and they're touring with. Bruce Springsteen. Holy crap. So last week I had an email exchange with my uh, accountant where he said, I'll have to get back to you midweek because I'm supporting Bruce Springsteen. Holy shit. That's amazing. But that's, a, I mean, it goes back to this exact thing Hunters we're talking about. Great. But also he's, we're talking about this exact thing of, I mean, and yes, right, Hunters and know. Collectors are great. And uh, Pearl Jam, when they headlined the big day out, to bring it back to that, right. recently they played Throw Your Arms Around Me by Hunters and Collectors, right? right. You never know where those things are going to like, you no. know, cross over. You never you, know. And, and, you know, I don't think that my accountant suddenly doesn't want to be an accountant anymore. Like, I think that he chose his life of being a really great accountant, but he's just loving the fact that, you know, he's, he's out about yeah. playing music and doing gigs. Were they... How I mean, be- probably telling everyone to keep their receipts and, How? you know, like, <laughs> hey, guys, if we all go in on this, yeah, we can listen, claim this. By the way, gentlemen, allow right. me, you're not going to keep all this money you're making, and let me explain to you why. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, we'll go on the Trago, but I'll sit in the front so I can fill in the logbook. Oh We've got to fill in the so logbook. Great. That's so great. What, I, I, was, were Hunters and Collectors big? Yeah. They were big, like, in, in the Australia. 90s. I mean, so, I remember them as a band. I remember right. liking them, but I was such a fan of all Australian music in right. the 90s that I just liked them, but I had no idea how big they were there. So I would say the biggest bands in the 90s and I'm probably going to leave someone out but I'm trying to just think of the people yeah. I went and saw when I was at university who right. were like my favourite Australian bands right so Hunters and Collectors definitely yeah yep. uh, Crowded House who are like you know New right. Zealand Australian band but right. were based in Australia at that right. time were they so so um, uh, so Split Ends was New Zealand uh huh and then they came to Australia and became credit. They came to Australia and they picked up two. So Paul Hester, who was the drummer, who right. unfortunately killed himself, yeah, yeah, yeah. and but uh, great bloke Paul Hester, like real. Uh, you, you, he was a real around comedy sort of guy. Was yeah, yeah no. loved comedy and yeah. like you know was and he was in the Wiggles. Yeah, right. <laughs> and no, not Paul Hester. Paul Hester yes. wasn't in the Wiggles. Yes. What? No, he was on the Wiggles. He in the very first or second season, he played the chef. All oh, right. So he had a spot. Oh, so he was on, on the. So he had a spot on the show. wiggle. He, was he wasn't a show. wiggle though. I think he was a recurring. No, he wasn't a. No, no. he wasn't. A, he wasn't. He was like the wiggle's next door neighbor. He was like the Wilson to Tim Allen's right. Home Improvement right. character. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He wasn't actually one of the cast members. The wiggle's though, because the cast member of the wiggle's were in an Australian band as well called the Cockroaches. Right. And right, they right, had right. like a couple of hit songs, and then they became the wiggle's. Yeah. Smart. So, um, in excess, who are the first band I ever saw? They were uh, amazing. Yeah, so they were they were they were massive. Yeah, uh, an Australian band called Midnight Oil. Yep, Peter Garrett yeah. uh, went on to become uh, like a they, minister they were in the government. Good, uh, in Australia. Uh, uh, beds are burning was a big pretty right. big smash over here. here. Yeah, they were a massive Australian band. Though, Midnight right. Oil and uh, Hoodoo Gurus. Hoodoo Gurus, maybe my favorite of the bunch. Hunters and Collectors. Yeah. I want you back. It's one of the best songs ever. In excess, they were the kind of the big like Australian bands of the time. Yeah, the only one that crossed over was in in a major way was in excess. They were right. massive here. They were adored. And, yeah. Uh, uh, and uh, and then there was like the Lime Spiders and the Triffids, and um, the Church, who I adored. The Church right. actually had a little uh, Under the Milky Way was a hit over here. Right, you know? and uh, was I think. On one music poll they had like about, I'm going to say five or ten years ago, may have been voted the best Australian song of all time under the Milky Way tonight. I, I may be making that up. Yeah, that yeah. may be a tofop fact. But it's it was certainly something like that. It won some 
you know, massive. And they had a little bit of a comeback again. They toured a bit off the back yeah. of that. And, you know, other bands, like, I mean, I guess there was, um, like, Nick Cave's always been kind of like a constant pres- presence on the he Australian. That, uh, he just yeah. goes in and out a bit, you know. He floats, right. And he does his like own thing. Leonard Cohen. He's right. like, all, like, from the first record established, this right. guy's a genius. And then he'll just sit sort of quietly in the background and be... Our sort of, sort of poet laureate, right? right. Like our our guy. Although he Even was, I can't get through a lot of Nick Cave. Right. Uh, Can one you? of well, so here's what I would say. I own almost all his albums. Okay. And because every time I see him live, right, I decide that I'm going to become the world's biggest Nick Cave fan. Yeah. Like, because one of the best live acts you will ever see yes, in your I've life. Never seen like, him. Amazing. Yeah. Like stunning. Right. Speaking of people who have a presence. Like, he can right. be playing, like, a music festival that's headlined by much bigger international acts, and right. he'll be on at 4 o'clock in the afternoon where it's still, like, you know, still daylight or whatever, yeah. and, like, do a show that makes even the hive stand side stage and go, yeah, okay, that's a guy who owns the stage, <laughs> right? You know, like, that's great. Just, like, amazing. So every time I do that, I'm like, that's it. I'm finally going to – and then yeah. I kind of buy the records, and I have a period where I – and then I'm yeah, – yeah. it's like it's – go- it's one of those things where I'm glad – it's good for me, Yes. And, but I'm, you know, I, I just don't need to be in it all the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But it's I'm not- glad he exists. And I always loved about, the thing I loved about Nick Cave was, particularly as a young Australian growing up, where there was a homogenized culture in Australia, particularly with popular music. Right. Was he was not like that at all. At all. And he started punk, like he had a band called The Birthday Party. Yes. And. Right. That's what I was going to ask you about. And they were like proper, one of my favorite uh, stories I ever got told, I believe it was the lead singer of The Models, James Freud. Now, The Models were more like a pop Australian band, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. and James Freud was really good looking and they were hated by the punk scene and they were having a, a, quite a deal of success. Yeah. And Nick Cave and his mates, like I remember James Freud uh, to, uh, told me this story where he was on stage playing like his song and they started getting pelted by st- stuff from the audience. And Nick Cave and his friends had brought to the gig like um, plastic bags filled with human shit and they were throwing the human shit at him on stage. But the thing that he said and the thing that he remembered was like they didn't have gloves on or anything. So they were putting <laughs> like they were putting their own hands. Like A, they'd had collected bags of human shit. Like yeah. some work's gone into this. Yeah. <laughs> and then they put, but like like enough work that they're like, let's shit in some like plastic bags and take them to a gig. But not enough that someone's gone, should we also get some gloves? Or maybe <laughs> or maybe someone said we should get some gloves and someone's gone, that's not very fucking punk, is right, it? Right, like right, if we get right. there with gloves. Yeah, let's just throw with our but it but it, it occurs to me that it's possible they got more shit on them. They would have than, got heaps more he shit did, than he did. I mean, I don't they know. They had to deal with the shit. Right. Like, if you think about the, the thing about shit is, yeah. is that you don't want to be around it. <laughs> Finally. You don't want it on you, <laughs> but you don't want it to be around you, right? Right. At all. In theory, or in fact, <laughs> right. Nick Cave and his friends spent way more time with the shit. Or so way on more. On some level, they lost the oh. battle of shit. Now, they may have thrown shit at this guy. Right. But it was only a moment that he and probably had probably missed a few times. Right, because I mean, with it, because how accurate? Like, I mean, I think no. he got hit, but like you're not getting like it's not yeah. you're not taking every shit no. uh-uh. to the body, yeah. right? Right, like and it's not even essentially some other band be, members are getting hit, hit by friendly shit. Well, know. really, at this point, they're no different than monkeys. Right. So it's just like at that point, if they all started jerking off, they could have actually been monkeys themselves. Right. Oh, that, right? that would, that's what they say for the uncle. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not. Then we finally just jerked off on him. That's weird. That's weird. How did you get hard during it? Well, he's very handsome. <laughs> did you still have shit on your vinyls? I loved. All right. Yeah. Okay. And, fine. Um, there was a band which I think were from the, were the other guys from the Swingers. Uh yeah, maybe the Swingers. And they were. 
I think what was left of split ends. Right. Okay. No, I'm not sure good. about that. They were really good. Um, uh, ACDC, but ACDC have always never really like, even though they're an Australian band, right. they've always been kind of an international Australian band. Right. You know, like the size. Oh, okay. remember them? No, yeah. I don't remember them. Yeah, I got deep. I got deep because we because I didn't. Other than like our, there was like the REM. Yeah, there are very few bands that were in that thing. Right. So then you would just go because everything seemed exotic. Like, what I, about the Go Betweens? Did you ever? A little bit. Right. They were a little light for me. Okay. Huh. They were a little light yep. for me. Um, you know, I like a lot of guitar, but I was really the the the, the hoodoo gurus were my thing because they didn't hit over here at all. Right. They only hit because they were slightly associated with the Bangles. They never got as big a career in Australia as they should have. They were they were a big band, right. but they could they should have like I mean they're if, if anyone doesn't like know the Hoodoo Gurus and you've never checked it out, there's a they did put out a great sort of like best of album, yep. which was like one side just hit singles and one side kind of like yep. but there's like there's really fifteen like great songs on that. Like, at least. If you buy the first record, Stone Age Romeos, or the third record, Blow Your Cool, you won't be disappointed. You will not be disappointed. There's nothing but... Right. Like, those are are all the way through, top to bottom. Uh The first one's really good because it's really just almost punk. Right. They're great. Yeah. They were really great. And also, I, in my mind, I imagined... Like that that's the way all Australians were, that right. they all had giant, because they were like, they looked kind of like a metal band, but then uh-huh. they also were like country Western looking like they had, they were very, I think they had like a, what may have been a very Australian. I think they were very look. Australian. Yeah. They certainly had a very also, I mean, uh, I know that uh, Dave, who's the lead singer, I'm pretty sure it was Dave. Dave Faulkner. Was, yeah, Dave Faulkner, right? Yep. Um, he lived near where I lived in Bondi for ages and that's a very bond like you know that kind of like beach cowboy beach so cowboy. it's like you know that's a, that's a perfect description there. and beach it's like because yeah because it was like they had that sort of surf influence definitely in their music yep. but they were but you know anyway yeah great australian bands welcome to my great australian bands when podcast. i mentioned them though when i went did press last time i was in australia and i uh-huh. mentioned them the the young person sitting across me said that would be like me coming to the united states and mentioning huey lewis in the news like that's how hip those ba- those guys are, and I'm like, well, I'm 50, right? Like I don't, I don't like cut copy, right? But uh, <laughs> well, you've, you've got to like cut copy. No, I don't know, I don't know. That's the only band I could think of. That's I, yeah. I, I do like cut copy because uh, the, they used to stay on my couch. That's my oh, show. I love story. cut copy. Yeah, so they're I, my favorite band. Amy uh, lived with Tim from Cut Copy at un, like when they were at university. Wow. So they were like when they were like doing their little dance music and couldn't afford to, they would sleep on my couch yeah. and we'd be like, oh, we'll go and see their gigs. Good on them. Yeah. And now they're just touring the world, being very successful. Yeah, yeah very so, successful. Yeah. So I like to hold on to that. Yeah. I also the also saw an Australian band called the Presets or Australian like sort of you know. Uh, I, th- that same style of music, dance right. music, uh, called the Presets, who are amazing, and I saw them at their first gig. So I always wish them well. You know, it's like yeah, one of those yeah, things yeah. where, like, when you're part of the story, you're like, I, I want this story to be really good, oh, so yeah, I can course. say, oh yeah, right, 100. So like every time they put out an album, even if you're not really into the band, you're just hoping it's a really good album, so yes. that story can keep going. Yes. <laughs> yeah, of course, of course. <laughs> um, I uh, have you discussed uh, Harold Ramis? No, no, no. Well, I mean, it only happened yesterday, yeah, yesterday. when we yeah, were recording yeah, yeah. this. Right. So um, it's a nice topic to discuss, though, because people know if they've listened to this podcast that I think, and I uh, tweeted about this yesterday, but Groundhog Day is still a perfect film. If anyone wants to see how to make a comedy film, if you watch Groundhog Day, it stands up as I well just, today, I and just, comedy normally does not. 
I just tweeted this morning, there is not, it is either intentionally or unintentionally one of the greatest meditations on letting go ever. So it is a, it is a, it's really kind of weird in a strange way. There's a very, um, like it, if you're a 12 step person, mm -hmm. it's that, it's that story. It's self will run riot until the point of absolute total annihilation of the soul where you want to kill yourself and then you come back and you're of service. And right. that's the only thing that gets you back into the life as being about other people. Not yourself. Like it just, it's perfect. So on purpose is what I'm going to say to you. And here's why. I read a great article um, about the dude who wrote it, Danny. Uh, I, should, I should know that because I tell this story all the time. But um, he, I believe, and I, again, I wish I'd, I should look this up because I bring this up all the time. And right, I've right, never, right. ever done the, yeah, like, the proper right. research to go, yeah. am I telling? That's how most of my stories right. and all of my information is. <laughs> I have a vague idea of what it might possibly be about, but I'm going to be very authoritative yeah. about it. But this is enough for you to get the gist. Yeah. Um, is that he believes that Bill Murray was there for 10,000 years. So it took that long because there's a Buddhist, I think a Buddhist philosophy sure. and he was obsessed by it at the time sure. about how long it takes you to actually, you know, change and, you know, evolve right. and like, you know, do all those sort of things. Right. And he was obsessed with that at the time. And, it, it, you know, and I guess with Buddhism and, you know, that's the idea of like, sure. you, you know, being reincarnated and being on that journey or whatever. Right. And so... It, it's intentional. Like he's meant to, it's not just there for comic effect. Like they don't spell it out in the movie. It's never like said that he's there. But if you think about it, like even if you're there every day, like, you know, repeating the same day, it still takes you a long time to learn how to play perfect piano. Do you know what I mean? Like it, it's still not like Forever. a couple of weeks, right? Forever. Because you still got to eat and shit and do all those other things, yeah, right? Yeah, no, all that stuff and timing out the right. catching the kid falling out of the tree, right? And the, right, and how because you days... can't because you, you got to do that every day, right? Because that's long the did thing. He grapple with the old man dying until right. eventually he was like, okay, he dies. That'll give me a couple more hours. And it's not like one day on he piano. can't catch the kid, even though he, know, you know what I mean? Like once you're catching the kid, you can't go, no, fuck it. I've got to get a good at piano today. You've still got to go out and catch, catch the, kid. the kid. Yeah. Every day. Right. Every day for 10,000 days. Right. Maybe. He's, and then he's right? slowly putting together the pieces that unlock the door to let him get to the next day. Right. No, it's, it's, but what's great about it is it has no, it, it does not knowingly do so. No. You never feel preached to. No, you never, it, never. You don't even think about it never. later. But then when you go back and you pull it apart, you're like, holy shit, is this right. thing spot on? Uh -huh. Like, I mean, and that's rare for a comedy. Um, I realized that I've based a lot of my decisions in life on things that Harold Ramis was. I went to the University of Oregon because that's where they shot Animal House, period. Uh, I think you you mean National Lampoon's Animal House. Uh, let's National use Lampoon's the, Animal House. Let's use the correct title. Yeah, National Lampoon's yeah. Animal House. I, I know that because I lost the Doug Loves movies based on not knowing what the title to National oh, Lampoon's right. Animal House well, was. So I, now it's shortened it. Now it's in. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's in here forever. Right. It is in there forever. Um, so you went. So that was the university, and you went there because of I that. Was, I was. It was. I was a junior right. uh, in uh, high school when that came out, uh -huh. and we saw it in the theater. 15 times right i couldn't stop watching it i couldn't i wanted to be uh uh tim matheson mm -hmm. like i just thought that guy is that's that's who i want to be when i'm in college right like just the nicest douchebag ever like right. just the just the guy that is so so but such a preppy dick but not a part of the preppies like that was sort of where i felt like i would fit in with my friends right and you're like i saw that documentary you made about your college i want to be that guy <laughs> i want to go and then that house was there and the you know all the you know it was all shot there 
Um, and then I went up and saw the school and I actually love the school and I love Oregon, right. but it, it worked out that way. But I mean, I really like, and then Stripes is, is maybe my favorite movie. I, I mean, I, I just, it's I amazing. Time. I watched it. I took, I just showed it to Mighty mm-hmm. who's nine. And, um, cause there's nothing really inappropriate. That's right. kind of the neat thing about some of those old comedies. You go back and look at them like the, the inappropriate stuff is so genteel. Right. Right. Or the, the inappropriate stuff. A lot of the time, um, is over the it's kids' heads, place. right? Or yeah. it's already taking place. Yeah. They pop out right. of the box and they're in right. underwear, right? They pop out of the, the, the chest or whatever it is, the, the foot locker that they have sex in. Or yeah. the, he's hitting her with the skillet. Like, it's, it's, or the, the spatula. It's not, um, yes. And so she loved it. Right. She loved it. And I know a lot of people are like, I don't like the third act. I'm like, it's perfect. Right. It's perfect. Yeah, I, I, it's... And I heard nice things about Harold Ramis as well. I mean, as much as you hear anything about anybody. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he seemed like a guy that people, like, you know, liked. liked. And yeah. He was a mensch. <laughs> he was a mensch. He was a nice guy. Like, yeah. I'm, sure that, I'm sure people liked him. I mean, what's not to like? And what else he did? He did, uh, he... So Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters, which was great. Yeah. Which I saw the first time on Mushrooms. Really? Yeah. So like the Stay Puff guy came off the screen, right? And then so you I, like it was I three was, day before three day. It was unbelievable. You're yeah, like, this best, is the greatest three day movie experience. No, I've you're on had. mushrooms and I, you just have your sunglasses. On. I had to go back then, like two <laughs> days later, to understand it because right. I didn't get it at all. And I my 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 cup that I had my drink in, there was like a a smile or something on the cup. So I just kept shaking the cup and then it would talk to me and right. I would just laugh. I mean, we were laughing and crying and I don't. I mean, like it was. It was maybe one of the best movie experiences I ever had. And then I went back and saw the movie, which was fine, but not right. nearly as good as the one with the Stay Puff guy just sort of seemed to come off the screen. He just came up the aisle, but then disappeared quickly. Right. You know? Yeah, it was good. <laughs> it was good. I, I also enjoyed the idea that, like, because some people would say if you are going to experiment with mushrooms, like, if you know, that it's one of those sort of drugs that you're probably best to, like, be in some place where you can commune, like maybe at the beach or like, you right. know, in the, like in the forest or like in some place where you can just be kind of like safe and like feel as part of the planet and kind of like, you know, and you're like, no, 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 we should go and say Ghostbusters. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the two best times I've had on mushrooms were not in those environments where I feel your brain can go crazy mm. as opposed to if it's just thrown a little stimulus. Right. Like, at Disneyland, where we got kicked out of, and then we ended up going to Knott's Berry Farm. Uh-huh. You know, rides. Right. Like, that kind of stuff allows you to not get lost in, like... Because mushrooms are very uncontrollable, it right. feels like. They can... Psilocybin can take you... can hit some dark recesses, and suddenly you're like, oh, I don't want to think about my mom. Right. But... <laughs> right? I don't want to be there. Oh, my stomach hurts. Uh, but uh, but if you have some stimuli, right. especially something that's fun, or if like there's ghost, some people busting some ghosts, Ghostbusters seemed so appropriate. Sorry, seemed so sorry, great. mom, but yeah, I'm gonna I gotta go. There's a you know who I'm gonna call. Yeah, the Ghostbusters. Oh, was so good. It was such and Bill Murray's such a such a treat as well. Is he not just like still so amazing? Like this is the thing about Bill Murray that like like he's obviously a strange dude and whatever. Yes, but. Like, you know, when you see him go on, like, you know, a Letterman or a Conan or whatever, like, he's still, like, he'll go on dressed up, he'll still be doing a bit, like, he does all this crazy shit in his real life that, like... He is from that generation, and there aren't that many of them left, where he knows what it's like to be an old-time celebrity, mm-hmm. movie star. Yep. 
and yet he's able to tr- he's been able to move into the future, right? right? So he knows to do a bit when he goes on those shows. I right. Mean, Dean Martin never didn't go on and do a bit. Like he's he's he he does he knows people don't care how he felt about the movie, right? <laughs> Right, he does. He's <laughs> gonna go on and do a thing. You know, Tom Hanks is a little bit like that. You know, some of those guys are like that, where you know they're gonna go on, and you're gonna go, "Well, this is gonna be right." And maybe he has some connection to the host, and it'll be. Yeah. And that's show business, right? Like, that's sort of a thing that like, like you, well, you, it's a it's a little spot. Like Will Ferrell does it a lot still. Like yes, he'll Will yeah. Ferrell does it. Jack Black will do it. Right. He's good at it. Um, uh, I, I I saw one the other day. Steve Martin was on Conan, oh. and he's a guy who always brings a bit. Yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he did this really, like, uh, he did this top 10 uh, reasons, uh, top 10 things Conan will say during this bit. And so they did Letterman's top 10 with Conan saying, we can't be doing this, this is Letterman's bit. And Steve Martin going, number nine, we can't be doing this, this is Letterman's bit. <laughs> like, it was a funny bit, you know? <laughs> like, I think that, I think that, like, I mean, I don't know. Maybe some of these other guys will grow into that. Will Ferrell, yeah, you're right. But it is, I, that's always the enjoyable thing is when somebody comes, Stiller, I know, you know, still right. does bits too. You know, unless it's something he's really worked on. Because sometimes you don't want to go in and, and talk about Daycare Daddy or whatever the fuck it is. Right. You know what I mean? Whatever movie it is that you've made. What was the <laughs> Cheaper by the Dozen? You think Steve Martin, do you want to hear Steve Martin talk about Cheaper by the Dozen? No. He'll, he'll say, that here's the clip. And Dave will say something like, you made this, uh, I saw it the other day. There was a lot of people in it. And then they'll go to the clip. <laughs> I love that. I love that Sandra Bullock said to Jay Leno, "I love that when I would come on here and you and I both know the movie was shit that you wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like that. Right. Thing, I like it when celebrities say, "By the way, I know that I pimp bullshit. Right. I know we all know. Right. This and they nice. have to. Of course they do. Like I mean, it's contractual. It's actually part of your job. Yeah. Like if you make it, part of the money they're giving you for making it is That's to right. go they're out and, you for promotion. Right. They're yeah. going out to flog it. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes to be honest, you have to flog something that's terrible harder than you have to flog something that's great, because something that's great, to, people will. When 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 he's just not that into you came out, we had to turn down interviews. Right. When the Greg Barrett talk show was on, I was fucking talking to like I was doing dogs podcasts, like I was doing. This is before there were podcasts. Like right. it was the, the, the Greg Barrett show. Just two like, dogs barking at each other. Like, this is a podcast, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Young Mechanics Magazine wants to do an interview. Like I was, and it, and that feels rotten. Right. There's nothing worse than doing unwanted press. There's right. nothing worse than when somebody has to go, "Hey, everybody, it's Greg Barrett." Like they got to say your name before you come in. Like there's just it. It's because it it's evident that that thing is probably not going to do well. Right. So I, I want to go, go two areas off this. Firstly, I was thinking about this the other day about like, because, you know, get so much internet spam. I was actually thinking, because I never look at like, you know, the, you know, you can make your penis bigger or like, right, uh, right, right. here's some like, you know, whatever. But I was thinking like, while I was like, you know, spamming all that stuff and like trashing it the other day, I was like, you, the only person I really feel sorry for is the person who like, comes up with uh, an actual way that you can increase the size of your penis. Like, how are they going to market that? Because... Right. But then I thought about it more and I was like, if someone genuinely comes up with like a safe way to increase the size of your penis, word will get around. <laughs> like, no. the word of mouth on that will be strong. Oh, no, absolutely. Like, they won't need they, to be yeah, like sending out emails. If they perfected right? some sort of like transplant surgery or it's right. like there was like a thing where, oh, no, everybody, come on. People would know. Now, that guy would be a gajillionaire. Yeah. We'd know his name. He'd right. go on Letterman. I mean, we'd all... Right. 
we'd all want to know about it. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's just like when they finally cure baldness, like yeah. that is going to be massive. Right. And people are going to just, I mean, that guy's name's going to be known, you know. Yeah. Uh, okay, so the second That's thing, I'll, the second part of this though. I wanted to uh, talk about was that you've been back on the publicity trail recently because you've had the new book out, which right. meant that you've gone back into kind of like a world that you weren't in for a while, Yes, which is like, you know, the Oprah's and stuff like that. What's that been like? Well, the transition was this. I had a, a, for lack of a better description, a nervous breakdown last year and I had to get my shit together and I had, uh, I had uh, broken my sobriety, whatever. So I got my shit together and in the process... Um, I uh, got uh, meds. I got on some anti-anxiety and um, some uh, anti-depression. Right. Right. And all of a sudden, every voice in my head just turned off. They right. just shut off. Yeah. And all of a sudden, I'm like, I don't hate the book. No. I'm good at giving self-help out. Right. And why can't I? And then I also... Why can't I... Why can't I be a guy who plays songs at a gig? Why can't I be a guy that does edgy stand-up comedy? Why can't I be a guy who also... Right. And there's no better time than now when people can follow you on Twitter and know your whole life. And I'll go down and I'll do a set over here and I'll record it and I'll put it up for people who like stand-up. And my record's available on iTunes. Uh And then Amir and I had written this book that we uh, had... um, That didn't get published in America. Uh And we had the rights to it. And Amira was like... I'm going to put this out. We could use the revenue stream. I'm going right. to I'm going to research ebooks and we found a small publisher and they put it out, no press. It was on iTunes and the president of Own Oprah's Network read it, loved it, got a hold of Oprah, Oprah read it, loved it, said let's teach a life class. We went on Oprah, so no pre- no no agent, right. no anything, just the natural yep. thing. And the the difference I think this time too is that I'm with Amira. Right. It's not just me, no. which is not fun. But when when I go on, well, it's much more fun. Like I mean, as in, like having the two of you there means yeah. there's a relationship already. Right. So you don't have to be having a relationship necessarily with the host. Like no. in an interview situation, you're not the only expert. Like you know, she can be interesting and you can be funny, or vice versa, exactly. or like you can play right. off each other. And right? I can just be the dude. Yeah. I can just cover one my patch of ground right. rather than trying to sort of become an expert and also like if i feel like disagreeing with my own like with what we've written or Uh if i feel like being funny about it or letting the air out of it i can do that Uh and and it's also been good for the marriage um because amira has been a part of all of those things and never got the credit right so it's been kind of interesting and then that led to we got invited to be on the view so you know um and And see these are big like for people at home like i mean oprah's got her own network now so it's not like oprah in the old days but it's still fucking oprah it's still oprah do you know what i mean like it's it's still oprah it's like she's got the world's best podcast right like that's (laughs) In right. a way, she's got a podcast network, she's a very and then she does she does her own podcast right. within that podcast right. network. You're right, and she has, right? and she's done it that way. She's made a very niche network yeah. that is about self empowerment. So right. that's what that is. She's not trying to. I mean, I, I, essentially, they will probably try to have scripted and all that kind of stuff. But she's certainly trying sure. to stay in her area and not lose that crowd. Right. Um, right. Rather than trying to make something for everybody, she's making something for the people who just like her stuff, which is right. exactly what we're doing here. Everyone's doing that now. Right. That, that, that's sort of the thing where you, you go, I don't want to be the Jimmy Fallon show seems like way too many things to try and cover. It's right. really better if I just have a show about gloves. Right. I'm just doing a show about gloves. <laughs> And people who like gloves will watch it. And right. the other people won't. And we'll right. get our share and we'll sell an ad on YouTube. Like, 
There's less, but there's there's it's more. It, it's I think it's a it's a more level. It should, it's you a should, more level ball field. You should actually call it. He's just not that into you, and it's about people whose gloves don't fit properly. Yeah, that's right. And it's like it's yeah, just, yeah, it's just same, rebrand it. Just rebranding it. We've just changed the. <laughs> The thing that's interesting about the Oprah thing was so anyway so then we did that Whoa. and then and, and we did it with Oprah and then we yep. got on the View and with the life class uh, for anyone who is at all interested is uh, well I think everyone like I'm a interested TED talk yeah guided by her yeah I think they saw TED talks and right. went, let's get some of these experts in here but then rather than just them them just banging on they'll take a question they'll, from, yeah, they'll right. actually put their their words into action like so for Brene Brown and some of those people so sounds like a good idea we got to man. have yeah and it was right? a blast and like the funny thing was that like all my paranoia about how certain fans would feel whatever it's just horseshit right nobody cared and matter of fact a lot of people were excited and a lot of people were like hey I'm glad you're doing that again or whatever and they were dudes like I think- because well here's the other thing like it's not like uh, again like uh, the old days Oprah was uh, pervasive Pervasive. It's everywhere, right? Right. But now the only people who are seeing you on Oprah, on that show, are people who watch the Oprah Winfrey Network. That's right. So either they're not aware of anything else that you do, so right. they're just seeing you for the first time and then they're just judging you based on that moment. Yeah. Or if they're people who are pre-existing fans of yours and aware of your other right. thing, they're already watching the Oprah Winfrey Network. That's right. And they're probably glad that someone that they really like has popped in for a minute. Right. Yes. They're like, oh, I'd like to see how... Like this person I like is on this thing that I'm already watching. That's right. It's it's exactly it. And and uh, I uh, want to know what the actual process is like though, because you were on Oprah in the old days, right? In the big, so big old three, days. Yeah. Right. The, in the old in the old days, I actually had the 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 fortune. The first time that I was on there with my with the co-author of the first book, Liz, um, and Amira had come with us because um, Amira actually wrote a lot of that book, but didn't get credit for it. What uh, it was the week after she gave away all the cars. Uh, oh, right. So she was at her zenith. Uh-huh. Yeah. I think she was at the top right. of where she'd ever been in terms of like she had just right. finally planted that flag and like I am the queen of right. all of these things. Everybody's getting a so car. That, that Wednesday or Thursday or right. whatever it was, the entire world seemed right. to be watching. Well, she's going to give away rockets this week. What like, the fuck it, is going to oh happen next? Right, exactly. And then here's this dude who's going to come on and tell women that guys don't like him. You know, here's what guys do. And it was just compelling. Yeah. And it was like... More people saw that than saw every day of my talk show combined. Right. Now, in that moment, what does that feel like? Did you Were you aware that, like, you know, like, so back the first time when you do Oprah, you know, where she is, like, you know, like you said, giving away cars. She's like queen of the world, Oprah Winfrey, right? The most powerful woman in show business, Oprah Winfrey. And you're about to go on that show. Can you remember what you were feeling like, what it felt like that moment? The thing I had to because that's up- as close as I think our generation would have had, or you would have experienced to like the old guys going on the Tonight Show yes. and doing their stand-up set, and then suddenly everyone in America knowing who they were. Right. That because that doesn't exactly- really happen anymore. You can do a Conan or a Letterman or whatever, and some people might see it, but it's not like the next day you're walking down the street and everyone's like, "You're that guy." But it- back those days, doing Oprah, that's kind of what that it- was. It was. It was, and and. Right, and I'd been on Letterman, and not that much happened, and I'd been on The Tonight Show, and not that much happened, right. you know what I mean? Because that had sort of already played itself out. Uh-huh. And also, at that point, just doing Letterman wasn't what you wanted. You wanted an HBO special. Right. Like, the bar kept getting higher and higher. Uh-huh. The Oprah thing was, when I was first going on, because it was so much different than going on Letterman, you know, I was, I, I was going to be interact. I was going to be telling people for the very, because all the scenarios in the book were made up. Right. Because I was a TV writer, so all the questions that the girls asked me in the book, that were just... Stories right. we got from friends. Sure. So I was going to 
talk to somebody for the very first time on television and tell them that guy that he fucking does not like you. Right. And so I was nervous about the person. I didn't think about the show as much right. because I realized I had a lot to do uh-huh. task wise. But I knew as soon as I started, like, uh oh, this is Oprah went crazy. She was holding up the book. They, they all cheered. Right. And I was like, wow, this is fucking happening. Right. And it came in levels. So it's not live. So we did it. And I got off and I knew it was a hit because Oprah came backstage, which we were told she never does. Oh, okay. Stage right. They immediately went, this guy's got a thing. This guy's got something in this area. But then when I got back to my hotel room, I thought, what did I just do to my stand-up career? Like I was still, because uh-huh. that was an afternoon and it just sort of happened where I'd put 15 years into stand-up. So right. it was like, and I just beat it. <laughs> Right. Just, in an afternoon right. by miles <laughs> there's no one ever going to think of me as stand up as again yeah, so, right. and then it aired and that's when I realized like when it aired and I saw it and then the book was on Amazon and it went to number one within uh-huh. hours and then we were getting phone calls at the house Right. and it was literally like Larry King and you know you're going to go on the Today Show and all that stuff and it really got kind of crazy and it was at that point that I was like wow this is insane and it's hard to even know what you know, it's like anybody. It's like somebody that gets a, scores a touchdown in the Super Bowl. Like you don't even have words for how you got there, really, and right. what what happened. You know, um, but it was so it was pretty epic. Yeah, you know, and I probably would have enjoyed it more if it had been my surf band. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like had it been the reigning, if the reigning monarch had had some massive hit mm. or something like like some some version of that, or or if it had just been a stand up set that was so. Did you ever think? Of setting the book to your surf music, I didn't. Should the should the lyrics <laughs> should the lyrics? I mean, a lot of your stuff is instrumental. It's all instrumental. I'm just saying, you could get someone in just to read the book. to read the book. Yeah, yeah, over the top. You know, it's so funny. It's like it was like one of those things where I didn't know how to be excited about it because I hadn't been shooting for He's that. He's just not I, that into the musical. Everything's been turned. Oh my god! I mean, that That's could be a musical. Like that actually it. could. Somebody should do it. Right. Yeah. But you could write the music. I don't think we own the rights anymore. I think it's still owned by oh. the, whoever bought the rights for the movie. <laughs> we might. I don't know. I don't know if the rights have reverted back. But it's a funny thing. Like it's interesting to become something, and we've talked about this before, so I don't have to labor it. But but it is interesting to become really famous for something, or become really good at something you had no intention of right. doing. Uh-huh. You know, be like if you went down and just suddenly realized you could golf. Right. And suddenly you're on the pro tour, and you're like, but I've been doing stand up forever. And I'm like, well, I know, but you're great at this. You just, you know what I mean? You're the best. You know what I mean? And I wonder what your responsibility, uh, like in that moment, is. You know, like, is it to pursue your dream and just be happy with that? Yeah. Because I think about that a little bit with with my career. Like, there's right. certainly parts of my career that I would uh, that others would argue, like, are more successful than the things I put am putting a lot of time into. Like, for example, it would take a lot of these podcasts to get anywhere near the amount of audience that my television show gets. Oh, like, sure. I mean, you know, yeah. a year of podcasts for right. almost like an episode, like yeah. I mean, or half a year, six months of podcasts to get the same audience one episode of my television yes. you know, yes, yes, show yes. gets. A thing that pays me. Interestingly, and- my podcast matches exactly what the viewership <laughs> of my talk show was. <laughs> same people. Exact same people. Same people. <laughs> no, but you know what's so funny? No, you're right, but I do... But I do my podcast just purely out of love. Right. Just purely out of, like, I just enjoy that hour so much, and even more so now. Um, 
So sometimes you just go, look, this is the thing. The thing that's so weird about it. So Amir and I... But what if one day you discovered you had a superpower, for example? Let's yes. take this away from like, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah, comedy in this world. Like one day you wake up and say, okay, what's the superpower you would like to have firstly if you are going to have any superpower? Invisibility. Yeah, right. Okay. So you want to look at girls naked? That's what it is, I mean, right? I that's whatever no, it but always also, is. But also like I, like, I like what you'd be able to achieve. Right. The things you'd be able to do. Plus, you can be a quiet achiever if you're invisible as well. Right? Oh my god, you could do so many great things. Yeah, you, you can, know what I mean? It's it's you know what it is? It's not a showy thing, invisibility. No, like you, you don't need to take the You literally whole, can be the fly on the wall anywhere you want to be right. the fly on the wall. Yeah. So that's know? no, I, I understand that. Invisibility yeah. is a good one. Okay. So one day you wake up yeah. and you've just developed the the power to be invisible. Right. right? Now, what 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 do you do next? What do you feel your responsibilities like with well, that's this, it. I would that you have now. I would immediately feel like I had been chosen. Right. And then I would immediately feel like, well, I have to do good with this. With great power so comes have, great responsibility. Yeah, I would have to figure out how to right. be in rooms and get certain types of information and relay them to the right people. Right. And, and then be able to catch people doing horrible, horrible things. Yeah. I would just start going to every Republican's house. Right. <laughs> Whatever. I, I suppose, you know what I mean? I would feel like I owe that. And, you know, that is right. the thing. Like, So I, then suddenly it starts getting in the way of the band and it gets, starts getting in the way of, like, your comedy and stuff. You're going to have to cancel gigs because, you know, you have to go and be invisible at right, this thing. Right, right. Like, yeah, but you're like, well, you know what? Like, I know that I'm good at being invisible, but a lot of it's me standing around in really fucking boring meetings, just right. being invisible, right. waiting for them to say this one thing. Like, and now I have to learn all about these international affairs because, like, I don't even understand what the... Because it's not like in the meeting they go, oh, here's the secret that we can't tell right. anybody. Like, you actually have to be trained in these, like, conversations they're having well, for me to pick it up or whatever. I want an invisibility backpack as well so right. I can put shit in it and then just take it to people and dump it up. I just want to be a courier. <laughs> a courier of information. You know, you, did you hear Greg's invisible now? He started his own courier business. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's. I think you're right. I do think. Like. Like. Is it your job to to do the thing that actually serves others more than right. it serves yourself, uh -huh. or is it your job to find happiness right. and figure out a way? And that's. I think always the artist's sort of dilemma uh -huh. because it also sometimes doesn't feel like well people need laughter. I know, but they. But if you have something that is more profound than that, or something that you can really give, is that worth doing? I, I, it's a tough one. I've just tried to figure out now how do I, you know, it's like the bar. It's like I said, it's like, where am I going to play guitar? It's right. not going to be the big day out. But if I can do this and, and sort of scratch that itch over here and feel like I didn't give it up and make records. And then when I die, they can say, shit, did you know he made 13 records with this band? It's here and it's right. done. And he did it. And it's like, well, that's an interesting fact about that guy that uh -huh. while he was. Yep helping people with their relationships, which he was good at and didn't even need to seem to practice. Like, I don't have to... The one thing about that that is I don't have to do anything to do it. Right. So, but then this goes back to this idea of, you know, maybe that's just the thing you're really good at. It might be. Like, I mean, maybe that's your, like, that... It seems maybe like... Maybe you're like the Jordan of, like you're, like, you're like, I don't understand why people, other people can't see their relationships like this because 100%. that's your gift. Yeah, that's... I mean, we... My, Amir and I taught a class the other day. Um, we were asked to teach a class about how to write a self-help book, which I, I think we're the first people that have ever done that. Right. And we just had such a good time in the room talking to people. We just mm. had this natural flow. I, we didn't have to do anything. I didn't right. have to get ready for it. Because I have the information inside, you know, and my stand-up's like that these days where <clears throat> I've just stopped the ritual or the, I've stopped bringing books with me. I've stopped bringing notebooks because oh, yeah, I right. never use them uh -huh. and I never look at them. It's all in here. Yep. And when I write new stuff, it stays in here. And if it doesn't, it wasn't meant to be. And I just go to the club and right. I do my act and it's fucking great. And I, I... 
it's not the Louis C.K. thing, but I've never done my act the same every time. I right. sort of move. I tell the stories a little bit differently. Well, I mean, it's interesting that you say that because I'm about to start a, a tour, like when we are recording this. In fact, it's the last day I'm in America today and I fly back and I do trial shows, like, you know, when I get off the plane yeah. and then basically I'm starting doing the show, you know, in previews on Monday. So, right. like, I'm days away. Right. And I'll see that show when, when you're tired of it. When, no, when it's good. No, I mean... I'm look, there thir- I'm the last two weeks. Right. It's an interesting thing for me to say because my, my manager, Kevin, it, like, he says to me all the time that he loves to come and watch... He'll come the first week in Adelaide and he'll probably see the show more in the first week in Adelaide than he sees it on the rest of like the right. eight months I tour that show because mm-hmm. he enjoys watching me, you know, put it together, it. right? Yep. Like when I land on that first day, I want it to be entertaining enough that they that preview crowd that came on the first night right. sees something that they, you know, walk away from and go, no, we got our money's worth. Yes. And in fact, some people come like, you know, I, 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 I know this for a fact, people will come on one of those first four nights when I'm previewing and then come back even at the end of Adelaide because they just like to see... You're at a point in your career where there's an, there are enough people that are like, I want to go see him figure this shit out. Right. Because sometimes... I've seen all of his... I know... I already... I am already convinced he's a pro. Right. I know he can do the deal. Right. What I want to see... Because I got to see... I saw Eddie... Well, you got to see Danger. Yeah, like in yeah. comedy, like at its best, oh like a lot of time it's us, us faking danger or us like faking that, that our ideas just come to it. Cause right. it, at one stage it, it did just come into yes. our mind or at yeah. one stage we did have that thought, yeah. but there's nothing like being there the first time that thought happens. Yes. Like I can recreate it. Like, you know, that's my job. I can recreate that right. moment. Of, but that first time when I'm hearing it for the first time as well, yeah. and it falls into that right place, it's never as good as that again. Right. And so there's, there's something magic moment. about that. There's that moment. Right. Then there's the moment where it's good because you're delighted to do it. Right. You get when you have uh-huh. something new, you cannot wait. You're like, here comes. Right. Here comes the thing I just thought of yesterday. I hope yeah. it works again. Yeah. Then for some reason for me, it goes away for a while. It just suddenly stops working. Uh-huh. Even though it's the same fucking words. Yeah, that can work. That can happen. It, and then it comes back as a as a bit. Uh-huh. And then it's a bit. And it's just said pretty much the same way. Right. So what I started doing this year was I realized that I like to have incomplete thought. Yep. So I started telling three stories at once. Right. Great. I talk about Angelo. I talk about my family. I talk about the dog. And I talk about my, uh, uh, I talk about, um, I can't remember what the third thing is, but it's always different. <laughs> what is it? It's a fourth. There was a fourth thing. Anyway, yeah. I tell the stories at once and I start with a different one each time, but I know essentially how all of the stories go. Uh-huh. I weave them. Yep. And because... <clears throat> I've only had one popular comedy album. And right. It was the very first version of Uncool that I did, and I didn't know the material. Uh-huh. And it was recorded on accident, yep. and everyone adores it. Right. And the next one I made, that guy from that thing, was rehearsed and to rehearse. And it was like in right. a club, it felt like yep. kabam. Yep. But it doesn't have the whatever that thing is. So I'm trying right. to figure out how can I maintain that, not just for me, but so the crowd feels like that, because I do feel like. They've seen so much comedy now. Right. They want danger. But also I think that you can only go to really interesting places when there is still an element of danger, right? Right. <clears throat> so yes. it makes it – you have to take the risk yourself. So how yourself. much of this show do you have together? Right. So, so this is, I guess, what I was getting to is because I'm trying to push myself to – like if I, I could write – and like I have plenty of notes and stuff and I like, you know, I could go out now and just go, well, the jokes that I have or the, the ideas that I have probably, you know – could get me through doing a show even right now but instead of doing that what i'm going to try to do on that first few nights at least is going going 
here are the stories and points that I want to make, but I have not thought through necessarily, you know, what the line is. And I wanted my brain to kick in a bit and like work for it and find stuff in there. Now that's more dangerous. Like it's more, you're likely to fail, but I think you're also more likely to get good stuff out of that. I was talking to Bill Burr and he was talking to me. uh, You know what? The other thing too is about Bill Burr, because I don't know him well, but Mm -hmm. we're obviously on the All Things Comedy Network and I've done a few of those shows they do at Largo. Mm -hmm. In fact, last time I went down there, I just went down to drink and watch Bill and say hello and they put me on the show as well. They've they've been very nice to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're good guys. It's been a real pleasure to be part of it, to be honest. Yeah. But, um, uh, he was talking backstage and the other thing I like about him is he's very generous with his um, advice or thoughts or whatever. Oh, yeah. you know, sometimes they can be delivered in like an abrasive way, but he's clearly a guy who's like, well, here's some things that I think or some knowledge that yeah. I have that yeah. I will share and you can take from it what you want to take yes. from it, which, you know, is exactly what I want from a conversation with Bill Burr, you know? Yeah, totally. And he was, he, he was just, he, was, he wasn't even talking to me. I, I, I was literally just sitting in watching this conversation happen, but... Um, he was talking about the idea of if you're going to a party to tell a story or if you've got like a story you want to tell your friends, you don't like sit at home and go, and I'll, then I'll say this line and then I'll do this joke. You're like, I've got a funny story and a, like a point of view behind this funny story or some lesson right. that I've ascribed. Like, and you'll tell the story and it'll come out the right way. Yeah. Because, you, you know. Don't, yeah, you don't prepare to go to a party. Right. You don't. And well, all, there are probably some people that do. Right. <laughs> But yes. But yeah. So I think that trying Especially to bring... Especially uh, storytelling. Right. Right. And the other thing is, you're going to tell... I mean, I know naturally that I'm, like, I'm going to do this show like 100, 120 times minimum. Yeah. Like there'll be a point where I can't bring him any more element of danger. I'll have told it so many times that it's essentially going to be mostly the same show for the rest of the run. So having as much... Being as creative as you possibly can until you lock in stuff. Right. I think is like, well, that's what I'm trying to do. How much anyway. is the, how much has the, I have two questions for you yep. or a question, a statement. The statement is at this point in your career too, in, at least in Australia, you have to take risks. Right. Oh, well, I think I have to take risks to get better. That's my big thing. Yeah, it's yeah, like, you have to like, you know, I don't think if you, I think if you're not getting better, you're going backwards. I've always said that one of the great, like the one of the things, and this goes back to this point of, you know, when you get good at something or when you start doing something, right. I, I, I say this and I say this without, you know, false modesty or anything. I've done five or six shows out of like the 19 that I've done that I am genuinely proud of. Like right. the, the last five or six. Right. Like and the, I, I could draw a line through pretty much anything before that. And that's not to disrespect people who've supported me right through a bunch of those shows and, sure. and got to where I am now. But I, I started getting better at this, in fact, at later. And the nice thing about that is that you're still getting better. Oh, like, yeah. you know, you always envied those guys. I mean, well, I always envied those guys who arrived and like a year in you were like, oh, that's the act. Like they've got it. They've got their voice on stage. Right. They're killing. But then you're kind of like, well, what, what do you do next year? Like, I, yeah, that pressure of like trying to, you know, evolve. There is Like is- I was shit for a long time. So now by hopefully getting a bit, I've still got plenty of better to get, which enables me each year to go, how do I get better? You know, like. That is, I mean, that is just true of everything that you do where you're, where you, yes, having the ability to grow and, you know, you've seen it with Radiohead, you've Uh seen it with R.E.M., you've seen it with Louis C.K., you're seeing it now with Bill Burr, where you have the ability to change and grow and sometimes go in the wrong direction, sometimes go in the right direction, but then you become like this, this fucking old piece of oak, like this beautiful piece of like, 
and you have authority now. Right. So now with the authority that I have and the, and the authority that the crowd lets me have, I take the most risks that I can because it feels like what it's the experience of have me. Right. My mom used to say it to me all the time. She's like, I just, I just wish you would do what you do at dinner instead of these jokes that you're trying to write. Uh -huh. And I would be like, I don't understand what you mean. She's like, just be like you are at, like in, when we're all together. Right. Which is essentially what you're talking about. Is like that thing of like, you don't have to prepare to go to dinner. You should just be free. Be free. But also be all of you. But how, Right. Now, how much has, because you're very good at um, set list. How much of, and you've done it a lot. How much of that, has changed your thinking about your stand-up because it's that's all a hundred percent improv. Uh, so it's it's really interesting. So I I did eight shows um, at the Sydney Comedy Store to start the process of this show just to try to do something else. Right. Eight completely improvised hours. They are I've listened back to all of them in the last couple of weeks. Um, I'm going to release like they're all on just audio from me recording on, on my stool. But I, later on, like when the tour is up and running, I'm going to take out the bits that I have not used that are in the show yeah. and I'm just going to release them for people to hear. They are, and this is again, they, they're really funny shows. Not barely any of it was usable for me to put together the show. Cause right. a lot of the great stuff was in the room, in the moment with that couple and then linking it back to that couple and then making a thing out of this. And yeah, yeah, yeah. like, you know, right. But so on a practical sense of like putting together the show, like n not useful at all, if that makes sense. Right. But in the sense of this is, okay, so this is what it has made me think is or given me the confidence that I can be funny about anything. So rather than thinking about yeah. things that are funny, right. think about what it is that, so I'm going back to do trial shows and basically I'm going to those trial shows with here are the topics and things I want to talk about. Right. Now fucking be funny. Right. Right? Yeah. Instead of going, here is some funny things and try to add meaning to them or try to add like, you know, like, no, don't start with something funny. Like my job isn't to go around and collect funny things. My job is to take things that I want to talk about and make them funny. So set list has definitely affected that where I go, no, 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 you can go out on stage and talk about anything and like you have the confidence to do that. Right. So now go and talk about things that, you know, you're important to and do that. It, like it, treat your topics like set list topics. It's funny. You know? it, it's a, I, they, they, uh, I, do the, I did a fan fiction show uh, uh, here. What was it called? Uh, it was, anyway, half the room was given an assignment before. Uh -huh. Half the acts were... And then we were given a one when you got there. So right. I was given Ronald McDonald. Okay, sure. And I'm like, fuck. You had to pull it out of a hat. <clears throat> yep. And I just went and I sat in the back and I just took a minute and then I just let go. I just start writing. Right. Bad, bad city. I was writing on my phone, writing like that and then like that. And so I get up there and I do this thing and it's fucking great. I've never thought about Ronald McDonald. I've never thought about the Ronald McDonald House. That's what it was about. And I wrote this story about... Oh, it was... A, it was a, um, whatever the... What is the one with... It's sexy. For fan oh, it's erotic. Like uh, erotic, fan, erotic fiction. fan fiction. So yeah. it, was, it, was, it was about Ronald McDonald and Wendy and, and their relationship. Mm -hmm. and, and, and I read it to Amir the next day and she's like, why don't you write for a living? Right. You wrote this in how long? I was like, right. I don't know, 45 minutes. She's like... And I wouldn't know. And you're like, oh my God. I think... All artists are like, I think we get these parameters right. and we also have invented rules uh -huh. for ourselves yep. about how we do something. Right. 
And then we don't take those rules off until somebody forces us to. And then we realize, fuck, I had all these other directions I could have gone in. And nobody expects you to be anything but, but great. They just want you to be good. They don't care. They just want to be entertained. And they don't care. And you to be you. And it doesn't matter. And sometimes the way that, like, whatever you have to say that's about you or inside you, it can come out in, like, you can overtly be saying the thing or you can be telling a story that is, you know, if you tell it properly, people get what the story's about without you ever mentioning what the story's about. We said to these people in the self-help writing class, we've said, look, the reason we're perfect to teach this class is neither of us ever wanted to do this. Uh It happened on accident. We made it up as we went along. It was our true voice. That's it. We, we, you know, here are some things that are good in a book. Here are some, you know, we realized after we did it, we did these three things, you know, we did what it was, we did basically the pitch that you do at an AA meeting, what it was like, what happened and what it's like now. But we did it in our own weird way. That's what you do. Figure out what your voice is. Figure out how you want to do it. If you want to do the whole book and have drawings in it, if that's your way of doing it and it connects, fine. You know, like there's no right way to do it other than having to do it. Right. You know, so knowing that you're right. The second thing I was going to say, set list is definitely influenced, but the podcast is definitely influenced because the podcast for two things, I, that we are, do, we do talk about a range of different things. It's been very good for me to like, you know, I joke about this all the time, but this, and people who listen to the podcast regularly will know it. There's just th- certain themes that come up constantly in my right. conversations, you right. know? And I was like, you know what? Like fucking, you've talked about gay marriage for the last eight fucking shows everyone's like you know just they get it. it and also people know where you stand right and other you know what if there's still jokes to be made about that it might be time for other people to make jokes about that you're more <laughs> obsessed about robots taking over maybe you should be talking yes, about that I agree. or you're more obsessed with like you know the idea of truth and meaning and the conversations that come up so often in this yeah that like maybe try to find a way of expressing yes. those stories right the shit that like be unafraid to be me in all that that means yeah. now the most interesting, some of the most interesting feedback I've got off the podcast has been people saying, you know what? Like, I I don't even know how I came to the podcast because like, I'm not really a fan of the other stuff that you do. Like, and I get that, like particularly because. Sure. I, yes, I get that too. Right. And like my TV, um, persona and even like my media persona has yeah. always been really smart arsey yeah. and like because of the roles that I've played on those right, shows, right, right. that's been, yeah. and look, there's definitely an element of my personality that is that, but it's not all of my personality. Well, and you are also because you're a good looking dude and you're confident, you look sharp. There's a, there, there are, there is a group of dudes that are men and women that are both like, fuck that guy. They don't know. Right. They don't know the depth. They don't know the depth. And they come to you and they go, that guy's not at all who I thought he was because we all do that. We all make right. a snap judgment. And you and I have that thing where we're fairly together. White men, uh-huh. not immediately empathetic. So sometimes people go, that guy's got it all. Fuck right. him. They don't know. But I also don't blame other. I don't blame people for making those choices because they can only judge you on what you put out there, right? right? Yes. And I've never been a person who's done the you know big like weekend you know good weekend articles where they do three pages on what your life's really like and right. show like it's not my vibe. That's not my style. I'm like, right. here's my work. You can like it or not like it. That's right. up to you. But it's been interesting to me for people to go, you know, no, what I like about this is you know, it's more rounded. And what I started to realize was, okay, you know what? That means that my comedy is not actual, you know, like when you, the yes. idea of like truth, right. no. if I'm not, if I'm not showing you that fully rounded who I am in my stand up, then I've got to find a way to incorporate that in. 
because otherwise I'm not, you know, really telling the truth up there. And, well, one thing I want to say, I, I always find that most of your haters are contempt prior to investigation. You know, that is, that is, that is always the case. It always is. They, they rarely know. If I, sometimes when I look at things that people say about the book or my stand-up, I'm like, right. you didn't get 10 minutes in. Yeah. You didn't give it a chance. You already decided beforehand, which is fine. You have to realize those people were never going to like you in the first place. Right. My other point I was going to make is, you know what you sound like now, and they know what you sound like when you're being a person. Uh-huh. We're not a performer. So right. sometimes I'm on stage and I'm like, you're performing. Slow. Hey, hey, talk to Dave. That's my podcast partner. Talk to Dave. Stop. You're right. yelling at him. You're doing a thing. Not judging, but just like no, no, no. bring it in the room. They, but, they, they, you know, and some of it, them know. Four of them know. Not all of them are podcast listeners, but do you know what I mean? People always thought it was weird. And I look, so um, I never liked Amy to come to shows and Amy didn't really love coming to shows, right? Right. And the real reason was she was like, well, that's, that's not you. You know what I mean? Like, right. that's not the you that I know, the person that I live with, the, the complex person. You know, this is, it's a version of you. Yeah. And like all the things you're saying are true, but it's just one part of you and one attitude of you and yeah. not. Now, bringing in complexity is more difficult. Like, you know, you know, comedy is, you know, like yes. easy to do in black and white rather yep. than like, you know, bring, but it's an interesting challenge. And if you want to challenge yourself, so. I, I think you'll like this because, I mean, it's – and this is a very highfalutin thing to put on what essentially is like a stand-up comedy show. But I had some different aims about what I wanted to do with the show this year as well, just in a kind of – in a structure sense. Mm-hmm. Now, what I wanted to do was I wanted to like – I was thinking about this. I, I, I've never been an, an Arctic Monkeys fan. But their latest album I thought was my favorite album of last year. Yeah, and the thing, record. And it reminded me of Arcade Fire's The Suburbs, and that might seem like a weird thing to remind, but I think they're two great albums. And the reason is that they both are chock full of hit singles. Like you could take any track off either of those right. like albums and they stand alone mm-hmm. as like pieces. Right. But if you listen to both those albums, they're essentially both concept albums as well. Yes. Like there is an overall, even though every song is an individual story, yes. there's part of an overall theme. And sometimes you pick up, oh, that first one's related to the fourth one. And like, it's not necessarily, or there's just like a, a, the same sort of music. Radiohead again, that sort of thing where there'll be like, you know, that sort of, oh, that's the same riff as in like the first song. And it makes this like, you know, album yep. be a cohesive thing. So that's what I, my aim is to do with the show this year is to like have a series of like, you know, almost like songs or stories, you know, that have like a start, you know, middle and end and have their own point of view or whatever. But it's a collection of them that all have that you sure. know, really cohesive. And there'll be like little links in between and stuff yeah. like that. So, which is not something that I've done before. Like it's a d- very different way to like, normally it's just like, here's the album. Like here's the whole, you know, show. See, what's so funny about that, we're, that we're on the opposite end of the spectrum because my very first special, which was a thing for, called Mantastic that I did for HBO that was actually directed in a theater uh-huh. by, a, by Michael Patrick King, who's the executive producer of Sex and City, but this is before he did that, was exactly what you're talking about. Right. And I could never do it again. Right, because... And it was so... And then I kept thinking that's how you had to do something. Right. And because also I can see why people here definitely would do, like, do something like that because... Yeah. You're working up bits, like a lot of the time. People are working up bits and pieces, you know, so you put them yes. together into a... Into a thing, but then also... Whereas I'm like, always like, I've got, just got to feel a fucking hour. <laughs> like, I've right. got to get an hour of right. stuff. Right, right. And, and, <laughs> and, right, they had to have an experience and... Right. At the time I was doing it, people needed to know who you were so they could do your sitcom. Right. 
Right. He's the dad who's got the chain while letter. He's right. the thing that's got, right? And now I'm like fucking over the hill. So I'm like, I just talk about whatever the fuck I feel like it when I feel like it. And I'll right. stop when I feel like it. And if I feel like that story, the couple of my bits just don't fucking end. I Good. just go, I'll just, but they but, do end. Right. In my head, they don't end because I have some preconceived idea that it's supposed to end on this massive joke when sometimes they just sort of angle down and then something angles up. So I, I use this analogy all the time, but the final Lord of the Rings film, like, it, like if, if that was stand-up comedy, mm-hmm. it finishes on the big battle. Because that's right. your closer. Right. Right? Yes. The biggest, most, yes. like, and yet finishes on the big battle. That's right. But you know what the Lord of the Rings doesn't do? It doesn't finish on the battle. There's, you know, Frodo goes back to the village. There's a thing on a boat. Like, yeah. there's other shit that goes on. Right. Right? Yeah. It, I, I think that... And it doesn't take away from the fact that... No. Like, the big battle happened. Yeah. You don't go, oh, well, this movie's been spoiled by Frodo getting on this fucking boat. Yeah. No, no, no. no. That's just another part of the story. Yeah, I, I've seen Patton. I've seen Danny right. Gould. I've seen those guys just end their shows. Right. They're just done. And they're like, wow, you didn't... I mean, it was solid laughs all the way through, but yep. they didn't have to bring it... Right. You know, they didn't have to hit home run and slide into... In, in, so it's, it's very... Uh, uh, it's uh, liberating to go, all right, I'm just going to... And the other thing is, I think we're both at a point in our career where you go, and I can do this, by the right. way. I know how. Yeah. You're in good hands. Even when I'm fucking around, you're in good fucking hands because I know how to take the mic out. I love doing this. I'm, I'm good at it. I'm good enough at it. And there's plenty of good coming. Right. But we all have to go on a ride. I have to pick up something that I saw on the road today. Right. I want to tell you about how my pants feel. I want to, oh, I, rem- I know you from whatever. I want to have those moments so that you don't feel like you're getting some pre-canned Right. And that's what I think, um, particularly doing those improv shows taught me is like, I mean, I really, and I think at some stage I will do like an improv like tour because I enjoyed them so much and the shows went so well, but it shows you also going, oh, if you can make something special happen on the night, audiences enjoy that so much more. Super pod. You know, they just, yeah. Right. Oh, so we got to finish up, but I, that's a perfect moment for us to mention that, uh, Charlie and I are doing the first ever live TOEFOP. We've never Fantastic. done a live TOEFOP. It's amazing. Um, as part of the Melbourne International Comedy Festival, um, I will post the dates and everything as soon as we have a date in a room. But it looks like it'll be the second last week of the festival. But um, uh, it's going to be $25, we think. We're trying to work all this sort of stuff out. We're like, chances are we'll probably do it. Like, well, we're hoping we will do it in like the supper room, which is where we did the Superpod show. Yeah, that, yeah. It's like 280 seats. So we think... Like we know there'll be a, like a demand, like, you know, we've all, I've already had people on the Facebook page saying that they, they want to travel interstate and come and see it and whatever. Oh my God. Yeah. Because they, they, we are going to record it, but chances are we won't be able to play it at least for a couple of years until Charlie's done with his contract. So, oh my God. So, so like just sit there in the vault, a right. gem. A so gem. chances are like if people so want they to see, can only it, see it, see it live. So it's right? very Daniel Kitson. Yeah. It's very Daniel Kitson. Oh my God. You should call it the Daniel Kitson episode. <laughs> And it should be super precious, and you should do it in a wooden frame. <laughs> Daniel Kitson, I don't know you, and I, that was not a shot. I was not taking a shot. I, I can't guarantee many things um, in the world because, uh, you know, there's weird things that happen. But I am willing to guarantee you 100% that Daniel Kitson is not listening to this podcast. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's a better shot that Obama is listening to this podcast. <laughs> Right. Mm-hmm. I mean, because at least the NSA are listening in on things. He, right. Well, he, right. Yeah. And he also was a comedy fan. He had a nice little, he, a nice uh, uh, little eulogy what for do Harold you, Ramis. What do you think? Yeah, and he is a comedy Chicago, fan. And yeah, you know, he is. And he's a, and like he does a bit of comedy and he like, you know. Well, he's good he, at it. Like he's good at it. Oh, he's so, funny. So what do you think that, um, 
Obama's going to do post being president. Because that's now like what he's looking at, right? Yeah. Like he's nearly done. And it's it America, so you know that you can't do it again. He won't be on like Clinton. He'll start foundations. I think he'll um I think he'll speak a lot. Yeah. I think we'll see him a lot. Right. Um and like Clinton's getting a million dollars a gig for oh, those yeah. like, like so Obama's gonna like Obama's like, you know, I mean he is. He's the Jackie Robinson. You right. know, he's he is a legend, regardless of even what his record is in yep. the White House, which I think he I think he comes off pretty clean. I think as far as you can as a president these days, he's going to come out okay. Right. He will not have been the most charismatic leader we've ever had. He he's probably either him or Clinton are definitely the smartest presidents we've. Ever had. I think that um, with Obama, it, certainly there'll be a share of things that will be kind of stains on his record. But um, I think that what will happen in the future is people will have a more accurate. Because um, you know the world went into global. Like I, I remember when Obama got elected the first time, because there was Australian elections around the similar period of time, mm-hmm. and it was always that idea of this is a poison chalice. Like whoever has to take over the economy at this time in the world, right. as the world's going to shit, like it's going to be hard. Like there's going to be so many compromises and so many. But not to get bogged down in American politics, but I'm. I think that when they look back on this era, like you know, people will be like, oh right, like. Okay, like the whole country didn't go broke. It went close, but the whole country didn't go broke, you know. Right. And the other thing about now is that we had the keys to mom's purse. Right. We could never see in her purse. Right. We never knew what she was carrying around. She uh-huh. wouldn't let us. And yeah. now we've, we've opened up the purse. Yeah. And you're like, oh, mom takes pills. That's right. ugly. And that's, <laughs> you know what I mean? Mom's got, her, mom, mom's, got a, mom's got a phone number on this book of matches and it's not dad's. Like... We know more about the government and the working of government and what people are doing. Right. And there's enough crusaders and enough of those sort of, you know, Manning type people to go in and, and, and make it too real. The presidency is too real now. Right. Obama would have been an amazing president in the 70s. Right, back in the day when, yeah. Yeah, but now there's just, I mean, Kennedy would have, wouldn't, have, wouldn't have lasted the first week. Right. He would have been impeached immediately. Right. <laughs> fucking everybody you know what i mean like he just would have been gone and i think i think in a way that's sad because sometimes i feel like we can't do anything about the things we find out anyway right but on the other hand that's the dumbest way of thinking about it because we absolutely should know what's going on it's our government you know but i think so i don't think any president's gonna have although it's possible that hillary clinton could get in there and really kick some ass because she is such a paul but it is very interesting. Like the the main objection I have to Hillary Clinton is this like entrenched inequality in any system. Like the American dream is meant to be this idea, the American con, because that's what it is. Let's yeah. be honest: is that yeah. any kid born in America can be president, right? Yeah. Right. Right. Which is not true. Not even. Like it, it's not true. No. And in fact, if Hillary Clinton becomes president, it's mostly been two families for like the last thirty years. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a system where I'm like, you know what? No judgment on George Bush or George Bush Jr. in regard to which one was better, which one was worse, which one's an idiot or Clinton or Hillary Clinton. But it just like, it just like, you know what? Let's not, because people are already talking about, Oh, Michelle Obama might go in. You know what? Let's some other people who aren't in the same families have a go at running the place. And here would be my argument. Here would be my argument for it. Even after two years of, uh, two terms of being a president mm. he's just getting his way around washington and right. getting in you can barely do anything in four terms right essentially hillary clinton has been in that world her entire life mm. she knows the players she knows the game she's willing to get dark she's willing to get dirty and she knows how to do it and she right. knows how to influence people and that's all it is but it's is the two term of- thing the problem 
Like, is the, like you know, like is that the problem? Like, is should they have three terms? Like, if two isn't enough to get everything done, like should it be a th- or are they just going to be no, then be campaigning be, yeah, I forever? Say, I can't see somebody locking. I don't know. I don't yeah, campaigning forever. I don't know. Right. I don't know. It's it's uh, it's an imperfect system. Right. If you've tuned in just towards the end of this podcast for us to fi- fix I mean, the American you political don't know system, how badly I wish we had a, I wish we had a king. <laughs> I'd run for king. I wish, was, I wish we had a king. I like royalty. Makes It tickles me. Uh, so during the Melbourne Comedy Festival, we'll do a live uh, toe fop. I'm guessing that we will try to have some uh, people who have been guest Charlie to come on and do the show with Charlie as well. But, you know, we haven't talked about it yet. So uh, we'll work that out when we work that out. Uh, Greg, you're going to be in Australia for... Yeah, the last two weeks of uh, so the The last festival. two weeks of Melbourne doing headliners. headliners yep. And uh, also then you go on the Comedy Festival road show. Yes. Do you know where you're going on the road show every, yet? Every, I'm there for the whole run. So everywhere? Right. How, how, where does it go? I think they send off two like road show. Well, I think it, they, they used to send off two road shows in different directions. Oh, really? So Because I don't think you can go everywhere no. in that much time. But, right. Uh, well, that'll be great. And we'll make sure that when you're like in Australia, we'll put all the dates on the website and stuff. Um, so uh, anything in uh, America before then that we can tell people about? Um, Walking the Room is your podcast. Well, yeah, you we're doing that. We're doing that, the, uh, yeah, we're doing the, uh, in, uh, uh, the live Walking the Room. We're doing live Walking the Room the 7th with uh, Al Madrigal and... Um, uh, Kyle Kinane. And Kyle Kinane. Thank good. you. There you go. That's good. And then we're back in New York again for uh, the Starfish House. Circus. Yeah. yeah and uh, Ryan Hamilton's the only person we have booked right now. Ryan I, Hamilton. Oh, yeah. If people have not seen him he is going to be a fucking I met him in Australia right he's amazing with he's Felicity, such a good with guy. Felicity with Ward Felicity. who's in I the kitchen Felicity. right now yeah she's a fox yeah I've decorated the place with Felicity Ward in the kitchen <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, my tour with Illuminati, by the time you hear this, will have started in Adelaide. So please come and see the show if you are in Adelaide. Then it's in Brisbane for a week. Um, that's selling pretty quick. So if you're in Brisbane, it's only six shows. So get in for that. Then Melbourne International Comedy Festival for one month. Uh, then I will be at the Acme Comedy Club in Minneapolis last week of April. Then I'm at the Bridgetown Comedy Festival in Portland, Oregon. Uh, after that's a that. good one. Then I am back in Sydney for the Sydney Comedy Festival uh, like uh, towards the end of May. Those shows are almost sold out. So if you want to come and see the Sydney Comedy Festival shows, you've got to get in for that one really quick. Uh, there is going to be dates in other places later on in the year, but I'll tell you about them when we're closer to those dates. Um, I did want to mention uh, Charlie is up for a Logie. I don't know if Logie's voting has stopped yet, but you could vote for Charlie for a Logie. That would be fun. I don't I it's like a, it's like an Australian it's a an Australian it's like an Australian Emmy but but like voted for, like like an Australian People's Choice Award and like Charlie is up for one get and him like one. get him when you guys there is enough people he's listening to this yeah, and it doesn't cost you anything he would look to adorable vote. with a trophy just get him on there yeah. and get him at least he can win a fucking trophy like if you want a Logie he might be able to like start doing the podcast again because he might be able to like you know you write know, his own rules into the contract you know yeah don't people well we can talk about that next time. All right. uh, Thanks very much for listening, guys, and we'll talk to you again soon.